Welcome back to the State of Sports Media Podcast from Sports and Society. This is Brad, and I'm here with Kyle. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm in South Carolina and spent the morning on the beach, so that has drastically improved my mood. <laughs> You're always uh, such a bad mood until you go to the beach, huh? <laughs> I suppose it's also... It's, I'm also because we're talking about the Guardian this week, and I don't have to feel as guilty. And as much as this podcast is about uh, processing our guilt for our love of sports, today is a good day. It is. That, that's we should dig into that more in a moment. But uh, you've been you've been uh, paying attention to any sports this week? Yeah, I had a couple things on my list. The first is how much I'm enjoying watching the Cricket World Cup. And it's for a few reasons. One is because I've never watched it live before. I've only paid attention to highlights. And so it's just kind of fun to be a first-time watcher of something I've always just read about, really. Uh, so there's just kind of like a new excitement to it. Of, I'm like learning a whole bunch, too, by watching uh, an entire cricket match. Uh, have you been watching I have watched highlights. I have not watched full games or anything. Yeah, but yeah, it's just an, it's 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 a pleasant thing to watch because it's it's slower and there's no rush to it and it's a pleasant feeling of watching it. And similarly, it's like on early in the morning and so that's like perfect for me of just putting something on early and working and watching it and it's just been really fun watching it um and england looks great uh although it looks like pakistan went for over 300 this morning i haven't checked back in yet but they were doing much better than their last match um but the other thing i watched this week that i wanted to talk to you about was uh i watched the muhammad ali documentary on hbo Hmm. that lebron james produced and it's a great Muhammad Ali documentary. There's so many out there, and a lot of it is the same footage, but how it's pushed together is uh, a little bit different. But what stuck out to me most was, so it's like four hours or so, and watching someone get punched for four hours <laughs> made, me, made me sick to my stomach. Hmm. I like had to, I had to turn off the second episode because I just like, it felt so horrible uh i i don't think i've ever had that experience before in my life and i've watched a lot of boxing documentaries and something about this one of and it's because it's a lot of extended footage from the actual fights and so in two in four hours it's like three hours of watching muhammad ali get punched Hmm. uh it's it's really awful to watch but i think they did that on purpose and it had this really powerful effect because it's all subtly funneling towards him becoming uh, sick because of his boxing career. And it creates a really powerful effect of exactly things we've talked about in these really violent sports of the spectacle of it, but also it's at a cost of a human being's life. Uh, and so it, it it's really heavy and powerful, but I, I just wanted to share that I watched that this week. Hmm. And that always brings up these questions for me of like, you know, we've chosen not to really engage with football. And I think that, you know, for me, that often comes back to not 
um, not wanting to feed into the and, and enjoy these other folks destroying themselves for our behalf. But at the same time, right. I have no bones with someone who wants to do that. Like I, the problem for me is the like the mon- the money involved. I guess in some ways, as it always is, that you know, would Muhammad Ali want to do this if there wasn't money involved? And if he did, then I right. go for it. But there's a right. there's a really weird feeling that we're incentivizing these guys to be sick later in life. Right. And when you couple it with Muhammad Ali's social activism and what he has meant in the history of the United States. Like he really is that seminal of a figure in my opinion and that it necessitated getting punched that much. Uh, It's just a really odd thing to sit with. It's really, really uncomfortable. And it also, to your point about football, it had me thinking about what if we had four hours of of NFL player's career of him just suffering horrible hits. Mm. Like, what? how would that affect people that are not willing to change their mind about uh, the sustainability of these sports? Uh, and so it, it was just powerful on that level, too, of how we ingest sports and how it affects our opinion of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Anyways, really what is. about you? Um, so number of things um interesting you know as for those of you that are listeners for a long time know i'm a big cycling fan one of the things that captivated me this past week was how boring the giro d'italia was um and they mixed it up this year not so much high mountains um a lot more uh kind of mixed and sprint stages and it was just interesting that they tried to mix it up to make it more interesting and it totally failed they wound up with a very boring race in many ways, and that was uh, disappointing. You know, you always want those races to turn out well. And I know that it's not like the organizers knew that they were going to make it boring, but it's hard to uh, – I, I feel for them in some ways with that outcome. Hello. Were they acknowledging that? Like, was it boring? Um, or were they trying to hype it? I mean, the organizers, it's just, you know, it's kind of what it is. It is what it is. It's mainly on Twitter that you see that more acknowledgement of what uh, is really happening out there. Right. Yeah. But uh, also intrigued, NBA Finals, as always, delivering the drama. Um, I don't know why, but I'm really rooting against the Raptors. Um, I think I really dislike Kawhi. I don't know if that's okay or not, but I really don't like the game. <laughs> he doesn't do a lot to be liked. Yeah. Well, no, and there's like this. The, our whole shtick, in some ways, is that we want these players to look out for themselves, and in some ways, like you could argue, that's exactly what he's doing. That he's viewing this as a career. He's made decisions that are good for his career right. and his well-being, uh, to the detriment of you know multi-million-dollar owners, and yet it all seems so cold and calculating that it almost has the exact opposite response that I normally have in such a circumstance that, you know, and it's also against this team that I think we hold in such a plum um, that we love what the Spurs do. Right. And for someone to like, um, it's the Spurs right. where I think we think that they're what we want sports to be. Uh, and he kind of shut that all down. Um, and so it's a, it's a weird right. dichotomy in some ways of, when when you when I want someone to go after the money and when I don't, 
Right. Yeah, it's problematic for multiple reasons, and this is one of those consequences, I think, uh, insofar as Kawhi's sticking to the player. Yeah, it seems seemingly having a negative consequence on that, which makes the whole thing possible. Um, so it, it's problematic in that way. But what do you make of the Drake drama? Oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> yeah. I will say, I don't know if you follow this enough to, to be on this because it's something that's very tabloidy, but um, there's a bit of a Drake curse um, that when Drake shows up and wears your jersey, your team loses. Um, and uh, Anthony Joshua, speaking of boxing, uh, had this tweet before his <laughs> match where he would, took a picture with Drake saying, quote, ending the curse. And then he freaking lost, and then the Warriors went in Toronto, and it just makes me really happy on some level. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I'll take that. <laughs> oh, again, though, it's like I, I want—I like the idea of celebrities being human, except when they become assholes, and then I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> or when it feels like celebrity for celebrity's sake, which is what this feels like. Yes, I, that's true, too. Yeah. Oh, my. You want to talk about The Guardian? Let's talk about The Guardian. Um, okay. So for those that aren't familiar with The Guardian, how, how would you describe what, what it is? Uh, the Guardian is a mainstay of the British press. Uh, it's considered one of the, I think they have like four that they are have in that category um like the times uh the independent i don't know what the other one would be um but yeah it's uh it's definitely associated with the left and uh there is a pejorative term of gardenista uh that is used to uh name call people that read the guardian like us um but for me personally and i think we're of course pretty similar on this one uh i find it to be one of the best news outlets in the world and i absolutely love it and as we'll see as we go through our rubric uh it's blatantly clear that our rubric was designed by people that read the guardian (laughs) (laughs) um what would you say about it what's your relationship been with it like kind of historically through your life um, well, so I picked up on The Guardian when I was in London studying abroad, and it's kind of all been a mainstay ever since, that it's where I go every day. I'm there several times a day looking for both sports news, but even more than that, looking for world news and what's going on uh, in the world. I think they right. they are leftists. Um, they're unapologetic in that. But I do think I appreciate that they're always kind of pushing on that and posting things that are – uh, even slightly controversial and pushing people in that leftern space to kind of uh, uh, examine why they're in that space, which I appreciate. Uh, and their sports content has really been excellent as well. They do minute-by-minute reports, um, which are phenomenal ways to watch and pay attention to sports if you're not in front of a TV and you like that little bit of a slower pace. So, I mean, I've got up the, the one from the England-Pakistan cricket match this morning, and it's just nice to know that I can check in. They'll tell me what's happening every over, even if I can't be watching it right now. And 
So it's some really interesting things that they've done there. Do a really nice job, I think, in terms of separating their news from their um, uh, opinion content, which I also appreciate. But yeah, definitely yeah. left-leaning, which is always going to bode well for us, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a question I've always been curious about as it relates to The Guardian is what the editorial and news staff thinks of sports. Hmm. <laughs> and thinks of the sporting department at the Guardian because I think what I'm this is just an impression or a notion is that uh, in-depth reporting on sports is something that a more leftist intellectual person or group is by and large not going to find as important yet the Guardian sporting news is in no way tongue-in-cheek it, it is very serious and it's very real and it's very high-end journalism and i have always just wondered how the rest of the news and editorial staff feels about it yeah i guess i'm inclined to think that they're probably in favor of it to some degree just in terms of you know in my experience there the, a lot of the real journalism that the guardian sports group are doing are at the same quality or, or above what the news side of things are putting out in terms of impact and and uh you know telling a story with a point uh right perspective which i think um i don't know i i guess i want to think that there's a purity there that uh, yeah that they can buy into yeah i'll go with that yeah well you want to rank them yes first off i do want to note that you have Pakistan went out for 348, which I wow. see no chance of England getting back at that. But they probably would have wished for maybe like a 250-250 split uh, between right. the two games. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we're, wow. we're referencing the fact that Pakistan uh, was defeated in only 14 overs by the West Indies. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but... All right, so first up on our rubric, we have uh, quality of articles, essays, journalism, um, which we are ranking them at an 18, which is our highest thus far. And I think that really goes back to the fact that they don't report on everything, but what they report on is really always done well. Right. Yeah, then this is kind of what we were talking about, is the seriousness of the journalism and the extracting that that which is significant from a sporting event or a sporting story that I think both of us really love uh, and is probably the draw to the Guardian for me personally uh, is I know it's good content. Well, it's always interesting that, you know, without fail in some ways, like I know that when I went there on Saturday, there was going to be an article about um, the Champions League final uh, and then there was also going to be probably two follow-up pieces, one that was probably a minute-by-minute report of what happened, and then another was going to be on the impact of that particular game in some way that was going to make me think differently about the sport in that particular game, which is what I'm looking for in some ways. You know, it's like um, I'd compare it to, you know, um, a podcast about a TV show that makes me think differently about that TV show after I've listened to the podcast that, there's kind of a standard that I know that the Guardian's going to push me to a place I wouldn't normally go to. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great point that kind of segues into the second criterion here of diversity of voices. Mm. And I think what stands out to me about The Guardian a lot, and we have them at a 16 on this one, Mm -hmm. is how, like you said, I learn at The Guardian website. Whereas I don't know how much I'm challenged by ESPN or Sports Illustrated. Uh, Whereas um, I'm regularly on when I'm on the Guardian's website, being forced to consider something I had never thought of or know very little about, and I'm introduced to what I feel like is a much more diverse approach uh, to not just sports, but all of it. Um, so it, it can be a challenging place to go, which is really enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a good point, that it's, you know, it's not something that's always going to be, you don't go there for an easy read. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You don't. You don't go there. You know. So I mean, they've got a story here just on the page right now about Ligue and France, and the story is about why are so many clubs sacking their managers and cleaning in there, and that's something that like you know we could read an article. ESPN would do that article, but it wouldn't tell us nearly what this article is telling us about the the stuff that we can't really tell from an outside perspective. Right. Right. Yeah. The word comfort is coming to mind, too. I'm not always comfortable uh, on, on the Guardian's website like I would be ESPN. Well, and this goes to the um, – I'm going to skip ahead here, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, and go to this question of enjoyment of visiting, which is yeah. one that we had some questions about and is the fourth criteria, but I want to jump into it right now because I think that that's part of the thing for me is that to get to the Guardian sports page – I mean, I suppose I could – bookmark just the guardian sports page but to get there for me i go through the guardians homepage, Same. which means yeah. that there's going to be something on there that's either news that makes me uncomfortable or an opinion piece that pushes me in a way that i didn't expect to be pushed um, right and so as much as i like that it does mean that i don't necessarily go there just for the enjoyment of visiting so to speak right um, it really makes me think in uh, I think I'm just now thinking about this, but the the large extent to which it feels like a newspaper experience for me when I go to the mm-hmm. Guardian, whereas my other sports media, the vast majority of it is I went there for sports, whereas when I go to the Guardian, I go there to say like, okay, what's in the news today? What's happening in the world today? As opposed to, oh, I wonder how the Reds did last night. Uh, so it's it's a different intention, but I, it's extremely enjoyable to sit down and read like a newspaper. Uh, that's that's really enjoyable. Well, and it raises all kinds of questions, and so to me about what does it mean for our society that you don't have to go through those other things to get to the sports now? I mean, you right. didn't have to read the paper to go to the sports page before, but you had to right. acknowledge that it existed on some right. level. Uh, which yeah, you, you had to remove it from the pocket and set yep. this, the rest aside, yeah. You had to go to yeah. Section C and, and see what was going on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it does, it digs into that question, right, that is such a societal question right now that is so difficult to answer of what the consequences are of our niche news and the ease with which we can find what we want to read. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, yeah. it's important. You know, I think 
there's a move and you we've talked about this kind of in passing and also it's kind of built into our thing but you know there's a move across media now that people read people um so i mean you have folks that come to the guardian for certain writers so i mean like rebecca solnit has a op-ed up on here now people want to read what rebecca solnit has to say right um, and the same with um oh gosh I'm blanking on people's names, but there's a number of folks that are like that. And so what what happens when folks only go to those places to find folks that they want to find? Right. Um, and what how incumbent is it upon somebody like The Guardian or L or whoever else it is that they've they've got a writer that people brings people in, how important is it to share other writers that have different perspectives in that same space? Right. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, Naomi Wolf is one that I was thinking of, of coming to the Guardian mm. to hear what she has to say. And then I also love that there's always a Kareem article right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they they keep his, it must get a lot of readership because he, I, from my impression, he kind of posts like once every few weeks on the Guardian website mm -hmm. and it stays there until he posts the next one. Um, I, I, I always have wondered about that, if the British uh, public just loves reading what Kareem has to say. Well, and there's, there is always an interesting mix that this is, you know, when we go there, we see the U.S. homepage. Um, yeah. And so I'm intrigued to know, like, is he, which authors are different in that, mm. in that sports space in the yeah. U.K.? Yeah. That would be interesting. I mean, so there's, I mean, there's like a Louis Van Gaal article up right now, and that's, which, by the way, is another thing I love about the Guardians. They do these interviews that almost always get me thinking about something. It's part of their best content, I think. Yeah, I agree too. I absolutely um, love it. But um, what about political engagement? Kind of already hit it, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. we had them at a 19 so this is we're throwing them at the top of the heap i think for anything that we read right i think so i mean they do not shy away from that question at all but i do think it's important to note that it's not uh it's not a diatribe yeah uh, it's just it's they're going to tell you it's there um and the article is going to be right there at the top you don't have to read it and it's not going to be part of everything but they don't shy away from it either. Exactly. Yeah, it's woven into their fabric, and I think we'll talk about that more when we talk about identity. Um, hmm. Well, let's, I'm intrigued to know from this. Let's, let's dig into this Kareem question a little bit and talk about the notoriety of their talent. Um, because yeah. I do think, we mentioned before coming on air, that there's a difference between the their British perspective and their UK perspective and their American perspective that we might not recognize these names, but these are big, big names. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, for the way you and I have entered the world of being so obsessed and fascinated with sports media and sports in general, the reputation of the guardian is near the top. And, uh, we are unapologetic allegiant, uh, unapologetically allegiant to the Guardian. 
However, many of my sports watching friends uh, pay little to no attention to the Guardian and are unaware of any talent that exists at the Guardian or any specific personalities that are part of the sports world. Uh, so in that way, um, it points me to a statistic that says 84% of readers in the UK believe what the Guardian writes. And uh, that would be countered, I think, by how many sports fans in the US don't even pay attention to the Guardian. <laughs> so it's not that they think it's right or wrong, it's that they're not even reading it. Um, hmm. So it's kind of a dichotomous relationship with the public in the sense that it's geographic. But what would you say about that? Well, I think that's absolutely appropriate. I mean, we before we started this new series, we did a little thing on an article by Barney Ronay, I believe is how you pronounce it, who yeah. Is, yeah. Like, regularly receives awards for being the best football writer in England, and yet it's not a name that would ring for anybody here in the U.S. And I, I wonder how much of this, too, comes down to a difference between print and other kinds of media. And that, right. that there's just not print media journalists don't mean as much to us anymore. I mean, I just think there's a book I have to read at home that's by, you know, this famous guy who wrote for SI and the Chicago newspaper is about, you know, pickup basketball, street basketball. Called Rick, his right. name is Rick Tlander, and this was a name that would have meant something twenty years ago, and now he's been completely surpassed by the talking heads that we see on TV all the time. Right, right. I mean, even Zach Lowe is on TV a lot these days, and we've talked about how he is not great on TV, but that's where you got to go. He has improved a lot. He has improved a lot very much so I, I i always recall that first time he went on one of bill simmons side project attempts at television uh who is also pretty terrible at television but um and it was like a, a middle school kid giving a presentation it was amazing <laughs> oh, well, uh, and i do think that you know the it's also there's that the talent goes beyond just the sports stuff and that they have these writers that you want to hear about all over their website, but that they also, I think have uh, interviews with folks that you want to hear about all over their website. Um, right. And so like, you know, I, I guess I juxtapose it if we were to keep it British here, right? So, you know, the daily mail is not a esteemed publication. Um, but like they're trumpeting freaking Pierce Morgan all the time, and it's just mm -hmm. like that's who you've chosen to to be your sports person. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's a worse version of Keith Olbermann. So yeah, um, but it's yeah, it's an interesting interesting thing to think about and what it would take for those things to break into the mainstream over here. Yeah. Maybe we'll see that. Uh, well, as, it makes me think of when we get to Bleacher Report uh, and what they're doing and how there might be space there for something like this, hmm. kind of what we're alluding to. Or the, like, I could see something like that happening, of like uh, a new up-and-comer creating space for a market that many in the U.S. didn't even know they would be interested in. Uh, but when they hear it, they're like, whoa, this is great. So I could see that happening. You know what I would love to see is the Bleacher Report 
partner with the Guardian so that we don't have to listen to freaking Steve Nash, who I love, but I don't want to hear him talk about soccer. And I don't want to hear <laughs> Stu Holden talk about soccer either. These guys they have are awful. I would choose Steve Nash or Holden. Yeah, Holden is just like... Yeah, I don't know it's why really they keep hard for me to listen. Yeah, you know, for a while, Twelman was this like the guy, and I yeah. couldn't stand him. And I, yeah, I don't know why U.S. can't have good soccer announcers. It's yeah, it's yeah. Really Alexi hard. Lawless, Twelman, and Stu are all really not enjoyable to listen to. No, but. and yet apparently something is telling them that people enjoy that, which is just disappointing. Yeah, on a whole. yeah, yeah. Um, well, you want to move on? Yeah, let's, let's move on here. So, um, relationship with advertising, what do you think? Uh, so we have them at a 20 and I think it's because their advertising is pretty minimal. Uh, I can't remember a video ever popping up on my screen while I'm on the guardian website. Maybe there has, but I like don't recall that. So I think that leads to my notion that it's, uh, as high as we can get. And then uh, I think we kind of wanted to talk about the idea that they ask for donations, which I do donate to The Guardian. Um, and so I don't find that all that obnoxious, although I often wonder if I'm being fooled by that. And maybe we can talk about more of that when we get to ownership responsibility. But uh, what would you say about advertising? Well, so as a so I'm here right now on their page, and there are four ads on the entirety of the sports page. Yeah. And they take up less than 10% of the page. Yeah. Which I will say, I do find this ad that comes down at the top annoying when you scroll all the way to the top. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's, I think it's really well done. And I think it's also, it's worth noting that they don't have any paywalls. Um, right. Which is, you know, I think we can differentiate that ESPN has limited some of their advertisement they've done through making some of their content pay to play, um, which I think is the wrong way to think about this. Um, right. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I think it's really nice. I do, you know, they could always be better, but I don't think we're going to find anything that's better than this at the moment. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I'm always just struck that I don't even notice the ads, really. Uh, and even when I do, I feel like they're often advertising for things that aren't horrible. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure I could dig into that some, but um, it, it, it's never overwhelming or really dispiriting to notice or acknowledge or be on their website. Well, here's one of the ads up right now is for a book. I don't think we'd be seeing many book ads on... Uh on ESPN, so that may play into it as well. I got one on how to learn about the toxic chemicals in your household. <laughs> okay. See, thanks, Guardian. I do need to know about that. I'm not going to click on it, but I appreciate you thinking of me. Well, and it's particularly apropos because if you haven't been reading this, which I'm sure most of our listeners have not, The Guardian has been doing a fantastic story on all of the toxic chemicals that are in your life right now. So. Um, go read about go. all the things poisoning you in your life <laughs> and how the, all those things that are banned in the UK are allowed in US food. So just wonderful, yeah. uplifting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about coverage of non-mainstream? 
So uh, I think I think we rated them higher than our others. Um, and I think this comes down to yeah, we we put them at a fourteen, which I think um, a it's always going to be that way, perhaps because they operate outside of the U.S. and so there's just different sports that are popular out there. But I do want to give them a ton of credit for the flexibility in terms of what things go to the top. And I think that's the big thing is that we know that ESPN and Sports Illustrated probably somewhere on their website we can find stuff about F1 and cycling and right. these things. But that the, the thing about The Guardian is that you can find any of that stuff depending upon what's going on on their front page, which is right. uh, just different from what you'd find other places. Right. Yeah, and I think an interesting part of this is the geography piece again, right, is that cricket is front and center right now. French Open is on the second biggest thing. And then, of course, soccer is always going to be really high up there. And then also I'm seeing on their top of their homepage right now a story on netball and a story on women's golf. Uh, And then, of course, they've been doing a lot of coverage of the Women's World Cup. Uh, a lot of coverage. About, yeah. A lot of coverage. Uh, so in that way, that's two. I see two things just right now on their homepage, and that being the geograph- geographic differences and what the cultural differences are for liking sports, but also uh, a willingness and a, a a belief in women's sports and a pushing of women's sports, uh, and kind of being at the front of introducing us to what. Uh, more comprehensive coverage of women's sports could look like or does look like this because they're doing it. So in that way, we're I'm, I'm putting them higher than most. But uh, it's also if you want non-mainstream European sports, then you do have to dig a little bit. I do think it's worth noting, too, and this is an interesting dilemma in some ways, that I don't think we have a problem with um, – ESPN creating ESPNW, but I think there right. is a belief that it, ideally you would have that on the same right. page like they've been doing with the Women's World Cup. Um, they've done that a little bit for ESPN, and they're, but they've been doing a ton of stuff for um, The Guardian. They right. Just, uh, reviewing each team and, and putting that stuff right there where you can find it. Right. Um, you know, I mean, so here's a pulling this up again how much i love these that they have um again i'm gonna pimp these minute by minute reports just because they're the way i've enjoyed sports for a while but they did one for the women's u.s open which i just don't think you'd find a lot of news outlets ready to dedicate a person to watching and then writing regular updates while watching the women's u.s open which I've always thought would be like one of the best jobs in the world of being told that, Hey, you're from nine to five today. You're going to watch a sporting event and tweet what you think about it. Yeah, that would be pretty fun. Um, I also think it's important to point out that if you scroll down near the bottom of their sport homepage, you have options for athletics, Olympics, motorsport, chess, Australia sports, sailing, snooker, darts, and disability sport. Those are really, really different than ESPN and Sports Illustrated uh, as far as niche things you can click on. I'm sorry, this is taking me down a rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) Do you know who won the 
the U- U.S. Women's Open? No. So it's a Korean woman, Jion, G. I'm sure I'm going to pronounce her first name wrong, but her last name is Lee, Lee Six. Six. Yeah, yes. she's, which, she's amazing. She's really cool. <laughs> which I'm now fascinated to know more about this. And yeah, just these are their story. I think this is what I like about the Guardians that they recognize that there are stories to be told and that they're in the business of telling stories. Yeah. Uh, and so that there are great stories in any different place you might look for them. Yeah. No, she has a, she is really funny. She's really dynamic too. Whenever she gives interviews. Um, yeah. She changed her name because there were six Jiang Lees on the Korean tour. <laughs> uh, and so she prefers even to just go by six. Like her friends just call her six. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, but she has a really cool story. She was, um, she like really struggled on their equivalent of mini tours uh, for quite a long time and like was notorious for having like horrendous rounds of shooting like 88s and stuff. Um, And a lot of her family didn't support her and said, like, this, just get a job. Um, So that's amazing. She's fun. She's really, really cool. Well, it's, I think you can juxtapose it with ESPN. The only thing I saw on ESPN about the U.S. Women's World Cup was that Hank Haney made an ass of himself uh, talking about women's golf. Yeah, what an um, idiot. What an idiot. Yeah. I, I love these apologies, by the way. I'm saying I make comments about that were insensitive and that I regret. And it's like, you clearly don't care. You'd make the same yeah. joke again. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, well, let's talk about the sustainability. And I think maybe we can dig into some of the fundraising stuff here in some ways, but we grade them pretty highly on this. Yeah. So maybe even pair these last three together, uh, I think could be interesting. So we got 19 on sustainability, engendering of social capital. Are they good for the world? Uh, We have them at a 20. Uh, and then ownership responsibility, we're at a 14. And so I think, and you could say more to this too, but it, it's, um, they're self-owned to an extent, right? So there aren't shareholders that make a profit off of the Guardian. However, where my financial understanding of how big finance works kind of runs out is that they are uh, under the banner of a trust called the Scott Trust. And the Scott Trust is essentially a venture capital outlet. So I'm sure they are very, very, very involved in um, global finance and the stock market and that their investments are extremely diverse. And if we went through their quarterly report, we would find investments in companies that we probably don't love. (laughs) So, I, I mean, that's a prediction. Maybe not. Maybe they're like extremely activist in what they invest in. However, when you compare that to other outlets that exist in the world, they're, they're better, in my opinion, um, in that they are even an outlet that I give $5 a month to. Like, that's, that's something. And so mm-hmm. in that way, um, it, it, if it's, I often find myself as in, because of our ideology, uh, pretty depressed about the state of the world. However, I take a lot of value in these things that say, allow me to say, well, it's better than the others. 
and so guardian in that way is like well it's better than the others and so in that way i'm willing to put it pretty high on all of these well yeah and it's interesting i'm reading here first off it's noteworthy that um the editor-in-chief of the guardian is a woman Catherine viner uh and she sits on the board for the the trust um and interestingly here notes that um revenue um from um membership and paying readers is now bringing in more money than advertising to the guardian and the observer um which is a really interesting uh thing to think about wow. they have over yeah. a million subscriptions or donations um yeah and it looks like they're going to break even soon which is uh, a monumental um yeah. accomplishment in the the modern media world yeah yeah yeah, I find them to be like willing to say that they are an outlier, and that's admitting a lot of ignorance of how the whole media world exists on a financial plane that I don't know that much about. But as from my perspective, they are the best all around, um, and so I hope they continue to exist forever. <laughs> well, it's interesting, you know. There's a there's a little caveat here on this article I'm reading that says industry experts consulted by the Financial Times have continued to doubt whether the donation membership model is financially viable in the long term. And I guess, I, you know, that's probably true for most places, but there are a few outlets, and I think about NPR as being chief among this, um, but The Guardian right. right there, that there are, there are these media sources that inspire the kind of uh, appreciation and devotion that these outlets have done that I think can really depend upon that. And I think we've seen that NPR and PBS seem to be doing okay at the moment, um, even yep. as their federal funding and stuff continues to get cut. Right. Yeah. And it's, I'm going to go even a little bit farther to kind of make the point because I feel so strongly about it is like, I, I mean, NPR, PBS, uh, all the national endowments, the Guardian, uh, it's not just a place to get news. Like These are uh, cultural hallmarks that are doing the hard work of upholding our cultures and mm -hmm. kind of keeping everything together. And so it, it is true that we're giving them just these rankings, but I'm willing to entertain the more romantic side of it of like this is this is the hard work that's holding things together and so every day that's not horrible <laughs> i think we can point to outlets like this and say that they're helping us do the hard work of it all is that an overstatement no i think you're absolutely right and i think it's yeah. um you know um it's just fascinating to see how we engage with different news cycles because i think you and i feel like there's an emotional connection with the guardian in some ways like we mentioned yeah. it that it's like when we go there it's it sparks something else that we don't find yeah uh, in other places and we don't have that with espn and we don't have that no. with these other places that they're useful but it's a very right. utilitarian perspective um, that's well said it is it's emotional it's an emotional connection yeah um, um, I do want to say here just that um, I'm doing a little more reading as we're here, which means I probably should have read this beforehand. But um, <laughs> the um, the board of directors for the Scott Trust is really quite impressive. Um, so it's mostly journalists, uh, and it, but it includes former president and CEO of NPR, 
um, who was the chief digital officer for uh, NBC News and things like that. Um, they've got several prominent journalists. One of the professor of professional practice at Columbia School of Journalism. You know these major journalistic people, as opposed to um, solicitors and people that are looking to make money off of it. So, um, right. a lot of credit for them for not being that normal, that normal right. trust. Right. Uh, yeah. Kind of reminds me in some ways of, you know, I think it, the modern world requires creative fundraising. And, you know, as an yeah. Arsenal fan, I have to bring up the fact that when they s- built a new stadium, they turned their old stadium into lofts and created all this community commons and stuff right. so that they could turn that into a revenue source moving forward, which I think is exactly how things like the Guardian and football clubs and all these unsustainable ventures have to start thinking about future endeavors right that made me think of uh of youtube deep dive one day those two guys that uh, do a lot of trick stuff on youtube soccer guys uh, oh, yeah. they got they got thierry Henry to go back with them to the original arsenal stadium that's now condos and apartments hmm. and <laughs> in the courtyard which used to be the field they set up the goals where they would have been and recreated one of Thierry Henry's best goals, uh, <laughs> which I found really enjoyable. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's good. Fun uh, fact that at least one of those guys is apparently a huge ass, uh, but not surprising. Yeah, it's not surprising. <laughs> uh, well, what's that total? So we come out then in the 170 range. Um, so we are we're grading them out unsurprisingly higher, significantly higher than both the SBN and SI. And I think that comes back to, um, you know, I think that there will be outlets that perhaps come close to this in some ways. I'm intrigued to know how we can what we'll see yeah. with some of that stuff. Um, yeah, but I think this is certainly for us has been and continues to be the shining star and where we continue to go back to. Yeah. Yeah. The fun way to say, as we mentioned, is uh, you can tell two Guardian readers design this rubric. (laughs) I mean, we have a whole question, which is, is this outlet good for society? ESPN doesn't care about whether they're good for society. (laughs) We're pathetic. I love it. Um, what are you paying attention to next week you know obviously uh, NBA playoffs NBA finals here Uh, but I'll be intrigued to see um, the Women's World Cup start and particularly because I think uh, we've seen the gap between the rest of the world and the US a lot smaller than it has been Um, and so I'm intrigued to watch some of these teams like the French and see whether they uh, are going to be as good and, and uh, compelling as the U.S. are. Yeah. Yeah, I think the storyline for us will be how uh, how this t- U.S. team with so many new faces holds up at the world stage. It'll be fun to watch. Well, you see, now you say that, and yet I am a little nervous, which I, I have to confess that I don't normally root for U.S. teams, but this U.S. women's team gets me every time. I don't know oh, what, yeah. what it is, but... Um, I've been disappointed, you know, watching the last couple of prep games. The team doesn't feel different uh, to me. 
in a way that makes me nervous that I don't know that I trust uh, Tobin Heath and Megan Rapinoe at this point, even though they've shown to be incredible. I don't know. I think I'd rather see some of those new faces get in there a little bit more. Right. Um, That's always my thought, too, is that when I see those veterans, uh, it makes me wonder how much I believe truly in veterans, Uh, especially in a country where so many really, really talented people are playing soccer. Um, that there has to be some more youngins out there that are coming up that are just as talented. But yeah, Ravino has proved me wrong like seven times in my life. So uh, I'm game for another one. Well, I have to say that um, I, and this is going to be very unpopular with most U.S. women's soccer fans, but I am happy that Carly Lord will be less in the spotlight than she has been. I remain convinced that she is an overrated soccer player. That is a really unpopular hot take, Brad. <laughs> I know, I know, but <laughs> uh, that's funny. It, partly for me, it comes down to she just doesn't play the midfield role that I like watching. She's a different kind of player, which I understand. She's been incredibly effective. I just would rather watch a, a playmaker in that role as opposed to a scorer and yeah. a box-to-box runner. Yeah. Um, I hear you. She reminds me of Frank Lampard in some ways, that he was incredible, but I never really appreciated him as a player. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I hear that. I'm happy for some of these new folks to step into that yeah. midfield and and see yeah. what happens. So, That being said, I can only imagine what's going to happen when Carly Lloyd starts the final and scores two goals again and, and just – Exactly. You know, She's going to score gonna from happen. 40 yards out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what are you paying attention to? Uh, in addition to all the things we've already mentioned that are happening right now, uh, the French Open men's quarterfinals uh, are going to be amazing. Um, it's looking like, am I, so I think Alex Zverev is going to be there. So that would be Novak versus Zverev. And then I think it's going to be Del Potro versus Team, which will be a great one. And then Stan Wawrinka is the story so far of the French Open, in my opinion. And he'll be playing his friend Roger. And then uh, Nishikori will be playing Nadal. Those are like really good tennis yeah. matches if you like tennis. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. And that will all happen over the next two days. Here's my second hot take of this portion of the podcast, but I'm really hoping Nadal doesn't make it to the final. I agree. I think it would be a good story if he did not. Um, I think one of the younger guys versus Federer would be a better story. Um, I, I think Federer, like uh, Team or Zverev, would be a good final. But I don't need Novak or Rafa there. See, that's interesting. I, I, I'm game for Rafa or Novak all the time. I'd watch him play anytime but rafa is just not on my not on my list this would be his 12th that's insane that's incredible yeah that's insane yeah he's like 115 and two (laughs) (laughs) that's so crazy well i do have to you know you mentioned stan vavrenka which i always tennis seems like there's one of these guys every tournament that's Uh been injured and so he's seated like way below yeah i mean so it's like you know like i think there's a there's a tournament a few a year or two ago where you know it's like serena versus carolyn wozniacki 
in like the round of 16 and you're just like that's not fair right, right. Wozniacki, but that's just the way the seating yeah. works i suppose but yeah the other i think rafa's statistics are amazing i think people being overrated is always a fun storyline in addition my favorite stat from this tournament is that in 1998, uh, there were 132 people that registered to play in the French Open, and Roger Federer is the only one still playing. Wow. Which I think is pretty amazing. His longevity is just amazing. It's as, it's as amazing as anything else to me. I uh, would really I love to see... It's just as much of a feat. I'd really love to see someone do an in-depth documentary on Federer, which I have to imagine we'll see at some point. But even something like two hours on right. the three of these guys all together, yeah. that would be yeah. fascinating to me. I agree. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe when in their retirement that'll come. Um, Federer's kind of Tiger-esque, though. He keeps this really, really strict control over what he allows people to see. Well, I think they all kind of do. And it's, you know, yeah. I feel like we don't know very much about Nadal. I feel like we know a little bit more about Djokovic just because he went through this down spell and has been willing to talk about it a little bit. Um, right, right. But they're all kind of, I think it's partly, you know, they play these psychological matches where it's essentially, right. you know, brain versus brain for four hours. So that, right. there's an interesting thing about wanting to keep yourself separate from that. But it is, I would love to know more about their personalities and who they are as people. Right. Right. Maybe I need to follow them on Instagram. That's probably the way to, to get in. Right. I'm sure I'll see the <laughs> yeah, real them when sure. I'm on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. They're not posting to make money at all. <laughs> oh my. Well, good deal. Um, we've done another week. Good, sir. Yep. Uh, Thanks man. Thank you. And for those of y'all listening, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this. Uh, and we'll be back next week with another uh, story. Maybe we'll do something that we both hate next time. We'll see how that goes. But uh, <laughs> uh, please do give us a rating and review. We'll look forward to seeing y'all next week. Thanks, man. Cool. Thanks, Jim.